Hi everyone, welcome to another Health Minute by Aquamega. And uh, today we are going to be talking about depression. And with us to do that, we have Sophie Defarge Bell. Uh, she, why don't you start off by telling us a little about yourself again? First, I just wanna say I love the uh, French accent. Yeah. It's, you said it perfectly. Um, so thanks for having me again. I'm excited to talk about depression uh, today. I feel like at the change of season and also just in general with everything in the world, I feel like it's very relevant, although always relevant. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, Dr. Sophie Defarge-Bell. I am a naturopathic doctor and I work at two different clinical locations. Um, the first location is Célavi Wellness in Oakville, which is actually a clinic that I opened with my mom, who's a registered holistic nutritionist, as well as my sister, who is a mental health counselor. And we opened our doors in January of 2019, and that's when I was officially licensed as an naturopathic doctor. And then uh, in November of 2019, I had the opportunity to join Dr. Olivia Rose and her team of holistic practitioners at the Rose Health Clinic in Toronto. So I've been working at both clinics ever since. So I actually have a background in biology and psychology. I have my bachelor's of science in those from Laurier. And then I also completed a mental health focus shift as an intern at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. So I do really have a special interest in supporting mental wellness in my patients. So stress, anxiety, low mood, depression. My biggest thing is I, I just love exploring the mind body connection with all of my patients because I just think it's very relevant for everyone especially like gut health, skin, brain health. I think it, it just kind of connects with everything. So yeah, I'm really excited to talk about the role of naturopathic medicine in the treatment of depression specifically today. That's great. I didn't realize your entire family was was involved in uh, the natural <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you were kind of brought up in that space, right? So you kind of grew up appreciating holistic medicine, natural health care. It wasn't kind of like an interest that spiked kind of later on in life, you just kind of grew up organically in this space? Well, uh, my mom actually became a nutri nutritionist later in life, but I will say that she always had a little bit of that interest and that drive to, you know, make home cooked meals. And we didn't go to the doctors very often. It was more just like, oh, what can we do at home to kind of help um, treat our health and, you know, stay hydrated. There wasn't a lot of supplements at that time. There's a lot more now, <laughs> now that we have a lot more education and knowledge. But uh, yeah, it's it's been definitely obviously a, an interest of our family for some time is natural health care for sure. That's very cool. I, I really like to hear that. We'll have to have the whole family on sometime. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. You know, growing up holistic or something like that. It's yeah. very cool. A so, bunch of French Canadians though, so be careful. <laughs> that's all right. We, we've got some French Canadians over here as well, my, myself included. So, um, so you know, you, you've done some great blogs for us. And when I was reading through them again, getting ready to talk to you today, there was one sentence that really stood out to me. And it's the, the quote, and I'll quote it, it's the genetics load the gun and environment pulls the trigger. So can you kind of maybe just start off before we start talking about, you know, depression, clinical mm -hmm. depression, grades of it, what do you mean by that sentence? So this is actually one of my favorite quotes and it's relevant to depression, but I think it's just relevant to healthcare in general. I feel like there's a big thought and almost like common knowledge that it's really all like your genetics. So whatever your parents had or, you know, your siblings have, your grandparents, like you're susceptible to those things. And that's not entirely wrong, um, but a huge percentage of most uh, health conditions um, is actually quite modifiable by diet and lifestyle as well as other things right so when we're talking about genetics yes they're there it's your um 
it might be your susceptibility or vulnerabilities that are there, but then there's also the whole environment piece, which is social, like the actual environment, but also nurture, diet, lifestyle, um, emotional, all of that stuff comes into play. So it goes so far beyond um, just the genetics. And there's a whole field of research now called epigenetics, where it's you can actually kind of change how your genes are being expressed by the way that you live. Um, so in, encompassing a healthy lifestyle can make a huge difference on um, on your health, um, whether you have the genetics, genetic predispos predispositions or not, right? It's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So like, you know, a lot of people just automatically, you know, even when you're going to visit the doctor, it's, it's one of the questions I'll ask, you know, if, if, do you have anybody in your family that's been ever diagnosed as clinically depressed? Or even like, you know, in my case, both my father and my grandfather have type two diabetes, and it's a question I'll ask is, do you have the genetic predis predisposition for for this disease um you know and i think a lot of people put a lot of weight into that but mm -hmm. what you're saying is that you know you may have this predisposition but your life choices uh can significantly impact you know where you're gonna go and how much that's actually gonna have an impact yeah and i think it's even like in the 70 percent of what you actually do like your lifestyle and your diet actually impacts and it's only about 30 percent of your genetics that actually will determine if you get something but especially something like cardiovascular disease or type 2 diabetes those are very modifiable um health concerns right um from diet lifestyle those are the big big contributors to those types of conditions and even things like cancer of course if you're talking about breast cancer and someone has a BRCA gene like that's a whole different conversation to be had but a lot of cancers um, are preventable through healthy changes. If we think of lung cancer, most of it is because of smokers, right? So just changing your behavior towards healthier, um, implementing health healthier strategies in your life can be huge, right? Yeah, that's amazing. So let's let's get back to to depression, and yeah. it's pretty relevant right now because you know, the global crisis that's going on and all the lockdowns, people being locked in, feeling very isolated. I mean, we're mm -hmm. social creatures by nature. So you kind of depend on that interaction and that that social aspect of life, you know, people not being able to get out to go to the gym and things like that. So maybe, uh, I guess we start talk about the different levels, like, you know, you you can be depressed, you can be clinically depressed, and you know, mm -hmm. start to have sort of suicide, suicidal thoughts. And that's when things really start to unwind and get dangerous. But what are the different levels and uh, in what can actually have an impact on, you know, whether you're becoming depressed or not? Uh, yeah. So I think first off is what is depression? And I think it's a term that everyone can relate to having had a low mood at some point in their life. Right. Um, when it becomes clinical depression or major depressive disorder, so MDD, is when it lasts for over two weeks, it becomes more of a chronic issue. And it's not just a low mood, but it can be changes in sleep patterns, it can be changes in appetite, irritability, a lack of pleasure in things that used to interest you. There's a lot more to it than just that, right? And then even within major depression, it has a huge variety in severity, right? So it can be mild, moderate, or severe. And of course, in the more severe cases, um, that's when it becomes more life-threatening. If someone has suicidal ideation or engages in self-harming behavior, that's when we really it becomes very critical to inter intervene, but ideally you can catch it much sooner. But then a lot of people, especially at this time of year, as we're transitioning away from summer and into fall, whether they qualify as having seasonal affective disorder or not, which once again, you'd have to kind of hit some of those criteria for a longer period of time. A lot of people just notice a general 
shift um, in their mood, right? So these like I feel like sometimes there's a lot less sunshine or you're leaving exactly. work it can be dark or early. So you just kind of like, you just feel a little bit down, but it doesn't. Yeah. Rest. Especially after, um, well, I feel like there's just a lot going on in the world and there's so many right. things happening right now. So we might, you know, there's a lot of fear going back to a potential second wave of the pandemic. Um, you mentioned the isolation. We just had a beautiful summer. So a lot of people were outside not only exposed to, sunlight, which is a lot more vitamin D, which is protective, but just being social, being able to hang out with people outside is huge. Um, like you said, humans are social creatures. So this is a huge thing for us. Isolation is one of the biggest determining factors as well, like loneliness, which is um, very scary as we're going to kind of get into the winter months and see what, what's going to happen. We're not sure if things are going to start to close down. Um, but yeah, and then the change of season and then it, it, like what you mentioned is also people not having access to those other resources. So like going to the gym, so exercise movement is such a protective factor as well. And if people are having trouble implementing those kinds of health strategies, it can be super detrimental. So there's so many different causes. It's hard to talk about all of them. <laughs> yeah, no, I find too, like even you're talking about just when you're touching on the gym and just listening to people, like, you know, pe people's experience through the pandemic, it's like, I wasn't able to get to the gym, got into a funk, started to drink, like people were drinking more, you know, I think the reported 75% increase in sales, uh, you know, significantly, you know, letting the diet slide, you know, everybody was joking about the COVID 15 or 20, <laughs> all these things, they, they have such an impact on your overall health and your mood. But maybe talk about like these different kind of contributing factors that can actually, you know, the physical aspect that's affecting the emotional aspect, psychological mm -hmm. aspect, the downward spiral that can happen when you get into this rut. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I love about naturopathic medicine is that we always try to get to the root cause and those address the health foundations, the underlying health foundations. But we also take a holistic approach. So really look at mind, body and spirit, right? Because we're feeling things mentally emotionally with everything going on in the world on top of just our regular you know daily stresses of work and family and finances or whatever that might be for you and then physiologically you're talking about weight gain or lack of movement or whatever else is going on in that realm and then i think spiritually it doesn't have to be spirit but just energy wise i think we we don't always realize how much everything in the world is actually impacting us on a day-to-day -day basis and I was actually listening to Brene Brown's podcast um, in the last week or two, and she was talking about how our surge capacity runs out after six months. And we've probably all been operating in somewhat of a surge capacity through the last six months of the pandemic, but now it's over six months. So we're probably pretty low. Adrenaline kind of thing. Like a yeah, so like your cortisol starts to run out. You're not, you know, you're approaching more of like the burnout, the fatigue. So those symptoms might be starting to approach. And um, we're just, yeah, our tanks are starting to be empty. And I think just the threshold for resilience is at an all time low for many people. So um, I think it's the Canadian Association of Mental Health, CAMH, says that um, the statistic is about 8% of Canadian adults are susceptible to have um, a depressive episode at one point in their life. And I can only imagine that that stat has only increased with everything going on in the world because I think anyone, whether you were susceptible before or not, everyone just has more vulnerability right now with everything going on. Um, so it is a bit scary, but I think there's a lot of uh, health strategies that we can implement. The big thing um, I think that is important to discuss is that most people think mental health is truly a brain-based issue. So really just to do with like an imbalance in neurotransmitters. 
So your typical ones like dopamine and serotonin, we've got GABA. So those are all super important for uh, maintaining good mental wellness. But there's so much more than that, right? There's a whole uh, field of research that's really exploring inflammation now as a, a cause, another contributing factor. And that is one of the health foundations I love to address in many health conditions with patients. Um, but that has a lot to do with also gut health, right? Um, a lot of, we, we we're seeing a lot more of that gut brain axis being explored. The gut is being referred to as the second brain a lot. Uh, the gut produces about 90% of your serotonin and your serotonin is really like your happy neurotransmitter. So, there's a lot of factors at play. And I think it really just comes down to maintaining um, a healthy overall lifestyle, optimizing, making sure you're keeping a good sleep routine, optimizing your nutrition, um, managing your stress, moving your body daily, also using your commu community, um, relying on support, whether we're in isolation or not. Hopefully we've all learned a few things after the last wave if we are to go into a second wave. Um, and then using supplements and additional healthcare as needed, right? Yeah, I think you touched on some some amazing points there. I think again, people think they associate depression really with something you know it's wrong with your head, mm -hmm. but it comes to the entire body, inflammation, gut health. Uh, you know, some some really good information. It sounds like you know just living as much of a balanced lifestyle and being really aware uh, of these different things. Um, and what about like? You know, you talked about the, the unbalance of neuro neurotransmitters, things like yeah. that in the brain. But uh, at what point are you know are we prescribing drugs for these types of things, and what kind of impact does that actually have on you know your overall health or, or well being? Or mm -hmm. into that for us, because you know we all know a lot of people that get onto these these prescription drugs. Uh, you know, probably more and more. And you know, I think, and that maybe that's just society in general, because it seems like when someone's sick and they have something, um, you know, it, we're we're very much like a a pill popping, can, like give me a pill for it, oh, you know, yeah. something like like I don't want to put too much work on it, just give me a pill that's going to fix me um, or make me feel better, kind of like right away. Um, but uh, maybe dive into that a little bit. Yeah. I have uh, so many thoughts on that topic. I feel like it's very relevant. First off, uh, as a disclaimer, I feel like a lot of people think that as naturopathic doctors, we're completely against pharmaceutical medication, and I would disagree. Mm -hmm. I think naturopathic medicine is an amazing, can be an amazing first line treatment option as an alternative to pharmaceutical medication if you've tried them and they don't work for you or you're just looking to go natural um, in the first place or it can be just a great complement to pharmaceutical medication, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think your biggest point is a lot of us, whether we're suffering from mental health concerns or just any other health concerns, we just want that easy fix, right? Like go to the doctors, give me a pill, whether it's a, a medication or a supplement, we just want something externally outside of us to help heal us internally because the internal work is obviously much harder. <laughs> it's a lot more commitment. To think that way, right? It's just like, mm -hmm. give me a pill, give me an antibiotic, give me a drug that's gonna make me feel exactly. better. And if, that, if there's side effects for that, give me another one that's gonna make exactly. those side effects feel better. And I think we just don't wanna do the hard work, which, which is um, maybe some mental, emotional stuff, some ther therapy type of work. Um, some some of that internal work but also more of the like changing your lifestyle and uh your diet and things like that people don't necessarily want to do those things if they can avoid it so it's just an easy fix but the way i see both supplements and pharmaceutical medication is they're really just meant 
as ideally a short, shorter term treatment option to just really help to um, alleviate some of the burden of the symptoms of depression because we have to, we can't ignore the fact that they are super useful and helpful for a lot of people, super effective and therapeutic right. for many. Um, we're talking about like saving lives in many cases, right? Um, but really it's meant to just alleviate the burden of those symptoms so that we can implement some of those more um, longer lasting, sustainable health strategies that involve more lifestyle and, um, and diet really, right? So we have to kind of remember that these aren't meant forever. Although if it does work for you, you know, then that's a discussion for you to have with your medical team. Um, but yeah, they do the be a life sentence, you know, like, like yeah. a, a lot of people kind of get into the, and it's like, well, I guess I'm taking this basically for the rest of my life. And we see that with statin drugs and all these different types mm. of the medications, not just uh, the, these antidepressants, but, but it's, you know, it becomes part of their life and, and there's gotta be, maybe you can touch on that too. There has to be some kind of long-term side effects that go from taking these, these drugs for an extended period of time. Cause I think you were, you were talking before, you know, the, the, I think the average recommended time is three to six months at the most. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you rarely hear someone who's been on, um, usually it's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the number one go-to when we're dealing with depression. So an SSRI, so things like Prozac, uh, which you probably have heard of, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you're right. Like it's usually meant to be more of a short term thing, but by the time you find the right dose and it starts to be effective for a patient and once they're kind of stable, it's rare for a medical doctor to kind of be transitioning them off of the medication. Um, it is safer. It's less involved to not make that transition and just stay on that dose that works for you. Well, but Worry to come off of it as a patient too, right? Cause you went oh, from really not good and then you're finally starting to feel good. But then even when, like, let's say you go for an extended period of time and it's like, oh, I'd really like to get off this medication. It has to be hard to come off of that medication. Mm -hmm. We've been on it for so many years. Uh -huh. And it actually has like some very um, serious withdrawal effects in some cases. So you really have to do it with the supervision of a medical doctor. As naturopathic doctors uh, practicing and licensed in Ontario, we don't have the ability to to do that for patients in terms of pharmace pharmaceutical medication. So it's all um, conventional medical doctors. But it has to be a very slow taper, um, you know, especially when you're dealing with some more severe cases with a uh, history of suicidal ideation and self-harming behavior. It is, it is very scary, right? Um, but, but it is something that is meant to be a short-term solution um, and hopefully is just that, that solution that can help to implement those other things and those other long-term health strategies can hopefully make that transition off of medication easier. And that's where supplements can kind of come into play as well. But supplements also can have, um, are not necessarily meant to be long-term either if we're talking about some more first line options, like the most common is St. John's wort, which is a herb that's often used as a first line option and very uh, comparable to a Prozac, for example in terms of its efficacy. And although it's often better tolerated and has less adverse effects than some of the SSRIs out there, it still has some, some side effects, right? Things like headaches. Um, and those are obviously not things that you wanna be dealing with for a longer period of time. So th those are also very therapeutically effective and shouldn't be used forever. So, yeah. So so let's talk prevention because we're obviously, you know, we're into fall, we're going to be going into winter, you know, hopefully not knock on wood, potentially some more lockdowns or some more restrictions that are going to come into play. Um, let's, let's, what can the listeners do or what can people be doing to help 
kind of prevent getting into this funk? Supplementation uh, or exercise, anything. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I think that the biggest thing I noticed with the last wave of the pandemic was people who were completely lost their routine. Mm -hmm. Hopefully people have kind of a better routine now that a lot of people have continued to work from home. So they've hopefully implemented some health strategies throughout all of that. But I think keeping a good uh, sleep routine, for example, making sure you're getting good sleep, that's huge. Um, probably just, pretty easy to let slip too, right? Because oh, 100%. You're, you're working from home, you're probably binging on Netflix a little bit longer yeah. than you could. <laughs> until one two in the morning getting up and just kind of you know just is it the yeah. sleep is so critical for for, oh, health for sure. general, so. it's the foundation of health i always say that if you have poor sleep it's really hard to build any other health uh, on top of that and mm -hmm. so many people have been saying how they just literally roll out of bed in the morning to their computer to their desk that's you know just a few feet away and start working yeah. um, but we should really maintain boundaries and all of that Eating healthy food, obviously. I think you one of routine, like routines get like you just mentioned oh, something yeah. there, like routine kind of jump rolling out of bed and just kind of sluggishly going over, you know, probably drinking three or four coffees. Does caffeine have a, a, an effect on this? Because you know, when you're feeling tired, you're probably drinking three or four cups of coffee just to get going. Yeah, I would say caffeine. Um, I'm more so with the anxiety picture, but okay. anxiety and depression do tend to run together. So right. I feel like, yeah, caffeine definitely can have an impact. Um, but yeah, I think just a well-balanced, um, clean diet as much as possible. Indulge when you want every once in a while. Sure, if it's, I, I always say it's good for the soul every once in a while. Um, but it should be a, an exception to the rule. But eating properly and consistent meals throughout the day, all that. But I think a big part of that is really getting a good um, assessment of your nutritional status. So a foundation of health that I often address is nutritional deficiencies. Mm -hmm. So some of the ones that come to mind are things like B vitamins, mostly B6, folic acid, and B12. A lot of people tend to be deficient in B12. And those who are deficient, even just taking a B complex right away can, can heighten your mood and your energy pretty immediately, which is pretty fascinating. Um, another one, obviously, with the change of season is vitamin D. We can't deny that we're all having decreased exposure to, exposure to sunlight. If we go into another lockdown, that's even less time outside, probably. So that's our main source of vitamin D. And vitamin D does actually um, decrease our risk. Like good optimal levels of vitamin D decreases our risk of depression. So that's an important one. And then um, for a lot of women of reproductive age who are having monthly menstrual cycles, who are losing blood every month, they are all susceptible to having low iron stores. And iron's another super important one that when you just correct that, you see a, a lot of changes in someone's uh, mood, energy, well-being overall. And Any then, yeah. Or any type of food or anything? For like, iron? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot, of, food. a lot of supplements, but sometimes you know there's some things out there. Taking too much iron, you can you can actually harm yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. I would say supplementation um, is necessary and warranted for people who have suboptimal levels who are really fe feeling the effects of it, like very fatigued, very low mood, things like that. Um, I would always check blood work for that as well. So mm -hmm. don't just supplement for no reason because yeah, having too much uh, iron can be inflammatory and cause kind of some. Uh, can be very taxing to the liver actually. Mm -hmm. So even like, of course, there's like the typical spinach that we always think of for iron, but you can get it from so many sources. A lot of just like, honestly, meat, 
um, meat sources are great because there's the heme iron, uh, which is the best version, um, uh, yeah, best um, type of iron. Yeah. And then um, making sure you're eating that with vitamin C. Um, vitamin C helps the absorption of iron, so that's really important. And I think that also comes down, obviously you don't have to eat meat. If you don't, then I would look into some obviously more vegetarian sources of iron if that's um, how your dietary restrictions. And um, that's also where you're gonna get your B12 a lot too. So a lot of uh, vegans, vegetarians are susceptible of those two deficiencies. Um, but yeah, supplementation can be super important a lot of the time um, for those who are, are much lower. But yeah, be careful. Obviously, dietary sources are always like my go-to and supplementation is if we need to, right? What about zinc, magnesium, obviously omega-3s? Yeah, so I was gonna get to the omega-3s. I think from like the inflammatory picture, omega-3s are amazing. And they are. there's actually a ton of research as a first-line option for omega-3s. Fish oil is a great additive. I, we've talked probably a few times about how, unfortunately, it's hard to meet the, the uh, right dose and concentration of uh, omega-3s just from consuming um, foods, right? Even healthy fats. If, even if you're consuming uh, fish daily, you're probably not getting enough, unfortunately. We talk to people a lot of times when we tell them like less than 2% of, of North Americans actually get an adequate amount of omega-3s in their diet. It's exactly. Yes. So that's one of my go-to supplements for most patients because we're not getting enough. Magnesium is another common one that tends to just be deficient in soils right now. But the best part of the fish oil really is like the EPA and the DHA are the two components of the fish oil. Um, the DHA structurally as a healthy fat feeding your brain is amazing, but it's really the EPA and it's actually, you need a 60% EPA usually in your fish oil. So a two to one ratio minimum um, for the anti-inflammatory effects. And infl inflammation is definitely known to be a huge um underlying cause of so many health concerns especially depression as well so right. the brain the brain hates inflammation it loves circulation it. lots of oxygen and we it's, a, it's a huge feedback we get from people that start taking our high epa product it's like you know within that first week it's like even someone was messing messaging us today and it's like i can't believe how much my mood has improved in, yep. in such little time and it's again it's the epa that's really helping to improve. and that's and it's interesting because that might have been someone who doesn't even suffer from depression. So even just, you know, your regular person who's just going through the motions and uh, the change of seasons might not even realize that they have a lower mood and they just don't realize that it can get better with something like fish oil. Mm -hmm. And there actually was research so um, where they took patients who um, had a higher level of a high sensitivity C-reactive protein, so HSCRP, which mm -hmm. is a huge, um, a very common inf uh, inflammatory marker that we test in the blood. And those who had higher levels of that benefited even more from the fish oil supplementation because that really helped to decrease the inflammation, which was huge. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think you touched on this quite a bit, but let's talk about the role of naturopathic medicine. So someone's coming cool. in, like, you know, you're addressing and you're treating things a little bit differently, but someone's coming in they're you know, they're feeling a little blue and oh. it's be getting worse and they're stuck into a bit of a funk. Um, so how does naturopathic medicine, like, you know, you're treating kind of like the root cause, trying to find the underlying issues, but maybe talk about the assessment and what you would go through with somebody coming in like that. Yeah, definitely. I think my biggest thing is just meeting the patient where they're at. So if they are on pharmaceutical medication, finding some complementary things that we can do. 
um, if they're not, and then obviously assessing where they're at using uh, validated questionnaires. So like something like a PHQ-9 or the Beck depression inventory, just to kind of get a quantitative number on their depression. Because when we are talking about mood, it's so subjective. So we just want to have a number that we can kind of track and check in on to see if we're kind of working in the right direction. What kind of questions are you asking when you're doing that? Like so the PHQ-9 um, is, it's like a, a scale from zero to three. Um, how often are you experiencing these symptoms in the last two weeks? So some of the ones that kind of come up are, have you lost um, interest or pleasure in things that you used to have? Um, a lot of like, have you had sleep disturbances, whether it's sleeping too much or too little, appetite changes, obviously low mood, increased ir irritability, and of course, like if you've had suicidal ideation or self-harming behaviors and tendencies, those are the kinds of questions that obviously um, get asked on that. And yeah, I just find that people aren't sure if they're still not entirely better, if it subjectively is too hard to kind of know if we're working in the right direction, but of course. Like you're almost in denial, right? So it's kind of sounds like it's a really interesting kind of an assessment to get that because it's yeah. like, it like I think, you know, through your mind, you know, everybody will get like these highs and lows and, you know, not necessarily a roller coaster. There's, you know, you like to think there's more highs than lows, but you will kind of, you can feel like you're in a funk every once in a while. And I think everybody's like that. And if you say you're not, you're probably lying, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, you, you start to feel a certain way and you kind of feel stuck or in a rut. And it's like, am I depressed? You know, like, in mm -hmm. it, or, or I can't be depressed. Like, look at, you know, I've got, mm -hmm. you know, I got kids, I've got my family, I got all these, these amazing things. It, you start to almost feel guilty for feeling crappy. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the biggest things I've seen is that people, especially in like the pandemic are like, oh, but there's like people who have it so much worse, right? Who have a family member who's ill or who are ill themselves or really quarantined or whatever. But I think we also need to acknowledge that everyone's feelings are valid and we all have moments of not feeling our best or whatever that might be. Um, and if you even just think about a woman going through a menstrual cycle, there's a lot of just natural shifts that happen. When you have estrogen pumping, you feel motivated, you feel great. And then when you post ovulation and things are in the um, luteal phase, people tend to just feel a little bit more anxious or a lower mood. And then most people don't really clue in if they're not tapped into their cycle or their bodies as much. And then they get their period and you're like, oh, that's what that was or whatever that might be. So that's a very obvious cycle. But yeah. everyone kind of are, is susceptible to those um, from even within a day. Some people, you know, go through a whole slew of emotions, um, let alone a week, a month, whatever. Right. So someone comes in. So you do this assessment. Like, what's the next yep. step? You, you kind of as, give this uh, a subject or objective assessment. Yeah. So a lot of obviously information gathering and um, chatting about all health parameters, really taking a mind, body, uh, spirit approach um my go-to i always try to get access to lab work or run it myself for my patients because i do want to check on like inflammatory markers and some of those underlying uh potential nutritional deficiencies i think if you don't correct nutritional deficiencies right off the bat it's really hard to modify anything um on top of that and right, then so leaky pipe without shutting off the the, the the water first, right? It's going to be really exactly. hard. To yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good um, analogy. I like the, the one where there's a leak in the roof and you can put as many buckets to collect the water, but if you don't fix the roof, then things are just going to keep leaking. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I then 
analysis of their diet as well? Like, will you have them write out like what they're actually eating, how often yeah. they're consuming alcohol? Because I'm assuming that's going to have a huge amount of impact. Of if people are drinking too much alcohol too often. It has to have a huge uh, like effect on mood. Yeah, I usually send home, um, in my first visit, I send people home with a nutritional nutrition journal where they fill out everything that they eat for a week and also how they feel so that we can see if we can make some connections, which also brings me more to the gut healing. Yeah, yeah like a food yeah. sensitive gut. Yeah. yeah, so like the gut healing is huge, right? So the first step of gut healing is to remove anything that might be offensive to the individual. And we can talk about the typical, the big three inflammatory foods, which are gluten, sugar, and dairy. And if most of us eliminated those foods, we'd probably start to feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, but then a lot of people have just their individualized food sensitivity. So for some reason, their immune system is reacting to foods that could be healthy and, and nutritious, but um, their immune system is, is kind of attacking it for some reason. A lot of it has to do with leaky gut syndrome. So the way I like to describe it is that our intestines have um, uh, cells, like our intestinal cells have tight junctions so that the cells are supposed to be really tight together and things are supposed to be digested properly at the level of the stomach and then move through the intestines and we absorb the nutrients that we're meant to. So a lot of your B12 is absorbed there, for example. But then sometimes some people have um, some gaps in those tight junctions between those cells and then food particles start to kind of make their way to the bloodstream causing some irritability or you're just not absorbing nutrients properly um, and then causing a lot of inflammation and you're reacting to all these things. So we need to really find those food sensitivities for people, eliminate those for some time so that we can repair the gut lining so that to make sure that everything is functioning appropriately um, from the moment that you're talked about that repair, that repair cycle. Like what's the, what's the timeline in something like that? Yeah, so I think there's like short-term goals and long-term goals. Gut healing can be a little bit more of a long-term thing. It can take a while just to eliminate foods from the diet for a while. If you're doing a food sensitivity test, that's a pretty quick blood test, and then you kind of can test those foods, but you usually have to eliminate them for a while, re reduce the inflammation, or you can do a full-on elimination diet, which is a little bit more um, involved. Um, but after you eliminate those, you reduce the inflammatory burden, you need to heal the, the repair the gut lining. So things like glutamine can be really great. Um, turmeric can help with the anti-inflammatory aspect. Fish oil also is really great and healing as well. Um, just to really get that gut lining back, back in check. And then you can throw in some probiotics just to make sure that you've got all your good bacteria helping you digest all of your food um, in the intestines as well. So do the food sensitivity that what's, what's, is that, I mean, I mean, that's not the end of the protocol. Oh, no, 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 yeah. Then you'll start recommending supplements, exercise. 100%. Yeah. I always like kind of ask what the patient is, what their movement goal is. I still recommend my basic is, especially these days, just get out, go for a walk, 20 minutes, brisk pace every day. And I feel like that makes a huge difference because we also have to take in the fact that you get a little bit more sunlight exposure, vitamin D. If you can go in, out in nature, um, I don't know if you guys know much about forest bathing, but there's some huge benefits of just being among nature. Um, so that's kind of theirs. And then also stress management. Stress management is huge. We see so often where people are so stressed chronically and then it starts to tip into the burnout or starts to tip into the anxiety picture. Like I mentioned before, anxiety and depression run together. Um, huge um, impact on mental health. So managing that stress is super important, whether that's meditation, gratitude, practice, journaling, breath work, no matter what, just really um, addressing, addressing the stress is huge. And then of course, supplements come into that. Um, 
whether it's kind of the ones that I mentioned in terms of addressing the nutritional deficiencies or some more therapeutic ones. So I mentioned the St. John's wort. There's also um, 5-HTP, which is um, 5-hydroxytryptophan, a precursor to serotonin. And serotonin is involved in happiness, well-being, but also um, appetite, sexual behavior, a lot of those things as well. Um, there's a lot more to explore, of course. Saffron, not as a spice added to food necessarily, but as a supplement is one of the most, most effective ones as well. So, so many different options. And that's the thing, that's the thing that's so tricky with um, naturopathic medicine as well is really treating the individual that's sitting in front of you, really gathering their history, what works best for them. I love to engage in a partnership with my patients. I don't want to tell them what to do. I like to share my research, the knowledge, all of that and um, see where they're at and get them involved in the whole process. Sounds like a, a, an amazing process and people can really benefit from that. Um, what about for parents? And this just kind of came to mind yeah. because I just, I know, you know, I've got two little girls at home and I know yeah. just through isolation and then not being able to see their friends, you know, they don't really know how to express that anxiety or, or you know, that, that kind of feeling maybe just off, you know? So yeah. what are things parents can do to help their kids um, or, or signs that they should be aware of, of like, you know, children just being off or feeling down or blue or, or I don't know, maybe you can touch on that a little bit. Yeah. I, I keep saying these days, I think that the pandemic has been hardest on school aged children where they're not getting that socialization. Right. I think as adults, we can kind of have a bit more of that resilience, whereas they don't really necessarily understand. Us I, remember, what's going on. I remember seeing my kids just when they started going back to like see their friends and it was just, you know, it's crazy. It's like night and day. Yeah. Such a, a nice shift in like, you know, you could just feel like there were something was missing and they had found that again. So mm. maybe some parents can do to help there. I don't know, routine diet. Like, you know, I think like uh, just, you know, we were talking about this a little bit too. I think people are like parents, maybe during quarantine or during these isolations, they're so eager to please the kids that they'll give them more treats than they probably should be getting mm -hmm. and you're more sugar and you're feeding that inflammation and you're creating mm -hmm. compounding the issue instead of actually helping it. So maybe quick tips and trips, tricks to, to help with. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think as a parent, like just check in with your kids frequently, try to give them the language to be able to express their emotions. Um, obviously consulting with like therapists on those kinds of things can be even better. Obviously I'm not, um, super well-versed or educated in, in um, counseling or therapy. I do love adding some counseling things as part of my uh, work, obviously. But I think the biggest thing is uh, show, don't tell. So like show them what works for you, lead by example. If you're eating healthy, if you're exercising and like your energy is palpable. So hopefully they also see those healthy changes and watch to get on board with that. Um, but yeah, check in frequently. Like I think that it's hard for younger people to make sense of everything going on in the world. So just, just ask them the questions. Communication is big, giving them the um, room and space to kind of feel all of their feelings and giving them the, the, the language for it and the words for it. And yeah, just being there, I think is a support, but I, I really like the um, getting them on board with whatever you're doing as a health as a health strategy if that's going for a walk every day why not go for a walk with your kid or uh, help them find ways to to stay social and engaged 
Um, but also like, I think giving them a break about the whole school thing, like teaching them real life <laughs> lessons and just pressure, kind of, right? there's a lot of pressure yeah. there on parents and kids and like the lessons and all this oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's wild. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. feeling that. And like you mentioned the thing, like I know my wife and I, we made, we had made it a, a big priority to kind of find some time to exercise throughout the day. And the kids yeah. would see that. And a lot of times they would want to kind of jump in and do some exercise. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really cool. Um, what about supplementation for kids? Is there any like a couple go-to key supplements that you would like, these are the ones that you should really be giving the kids. These are going to help with, you know, anxiety, uh, their immunity, like whatever, whatever really your protocol would be as far as like yeah. the, the staples that they should be looking at. I think that most of like the vitamins, minerals that we kind of talked about. So your B vitamins, your fish oil, your zinc, your iron. A good multivitamin for the kids. Multi, yeah. And that's the thing, like dosing obviously changes for kids. They, if they're smaller, um, they probably don't need as much as an adult. Um, but they tend to like be more responsive to treatments, right? Because they're 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 more vital, they're younger, things like that. So sometimes it is more just the basics of of lifestyle and dietary modifications can have a huge impact for them. Um, but most of the things that are good for an adult can also be good for um, a child. I think that they don't necessarily need the more therapeutic herbs like the saffrons and the St. John's were, unless there is like a more severe issue going on, in which case, in any case, really consult with your healthcare practitioners, see what's best for, for that. But I think the vitamin D also huge. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's also just having that routine and, and trying to maintain that routine as much as possible, but also having flexibility for change because we're all going through a pretty wild ride this year and i think we all need to be a little bit <laughs> that's an understatement yeah I, I like i really appreciate you taking the time i don't want to take too much of your time uh i you know a big takeaway for me for this whole kind of podcast is that you know that going back to that first line is that you know genetics load the gun but it sounds you're really in control of what the outcome is going to be and mm -hmm. so if you decide to to take control of your health you can really control the outcome um, and really how you're going to feel. And uh, and there are some options that are out there, some great solutions, whether they be pharmaceutical or natural, uh, you know, there, there's always options there for you. Um, and I think there's always, you know, there's always great people like yourself, Sophie, that are going to be there to help and listen and, and kind of guide you through it and get you out of that rut. So thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. Always insightful. Always great to talk to you. Um, thanks. Thanks again. Yeah, I really thank you. This is I think a very a very um, relevant and needed conversation, and I hope a lot of people get a lot of it out of it. And just remember to take care of themselves. Thank you. Thank you so much.